You're listening to the Workforce Wise podcast from Equifax, where we help you better manage your workforce by saving time, reducing risk, and focusing on increasing profits. Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Wise podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fry. Today, we'll be talking about E-Verify from an employer's perspective. We're going to share a lot of do's and don'ts for employers to be aware of when it comes to using E-Verify on a daily or day-in and day-out basis. Today, we'll be talking with Erin Derby, who leads our implementations group here at Equifax. Erin and her team help our clients begin using the E-Verify system through our integration as a web services provider of the E-Verify solution. So her and her team get to interact with each of our new clients as they're coming on board and making sure that they're set up for success with our solutions. Welcome, Erin. Thank you, Jason. I'm excited to be here with today. And for those of you that don't know, Erin is a big fan of reality television. Now, that may not come up on this podcast, but if you ever get to talk to her on the phone, all kinds of interesting facts about all kinds of shows in the reality realm. But back Mm -hmm. to the subject at hand. Uh, So, Erin, when we implement a new client for E-Verify... I know that they're very familiar with the Form I-9 process, but E-Verify may be something that's new to them when we start them using that system. Um, So let's talk for a minute about how E-Verify and Form I-9 are the same, how they're different, and how those two interact with each other. So can you talk for just a bit about some of the questions that clients you may have seen clients have or some of the recommendations that we give them when we first set them up for E-Verify? Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's really a starting point that we have with a lot of our clients, especially if they're newly taking coming into an electronic solution or um they are they, they're not very familiar with e-verify. We often have seen clients that sometimes even have the misconception that they are one and the same. So we do take a lot of effort to ensure that they understand that they're different, but they're connected and there is some overlap. So we do have to make sure that they understand uh, the case handling procedures and that certain cases mean certain activities and to ensure that they are thorough and that they're following really kind of all of the guidelines that are set forth through their memorandum of understanding um, and making sure that they're successful with with the case handling, uh, especially around just that area of, of paying attention to what those cases mean. So we do a lot of, of training to ensure they have a, a solid understanding of the process, what it means, and how to navigate through it efficiently. And I think that that's a key thing, making sure that employer clients understand that we do provide training. We are going to teach them how to use the system, how to use it appropriately, and kind of the do's and don'ts around E-Verify. So let's talk a little bit about some of the do's and don'ts when we talk about the Form I-9 and the E-Verify process. So when we set someone up with a new memorandum of understanding, which means that we are getting them access to the E-Verify system, what do they need to know? What do they need to look out for? So do they need to do things like go through all the employees that they've got today and run them through E-Verify? Or do they need to make sure that they're looking at cases in a specific way? So what are the biggest kind of do's and don'ts that a new client would first see when they come in and start using the E-Verify system? Sure. And and sometimes there's a different, there's a couple of different use cases where a client has never really needed 
to use E-Verify. And now because of some requirement maybe in their state or because of a government contract, something may have now prompted them to have to participate in the program. Um, so in that scenario, they're just brand new to E-Verify and they ask, you know, we've got these I-9s from three years ago for all these employees that are working for us. Do we now need to send them to E-Verify? And for the most part, the answer is no. Um, and I say it that way because there might be instances, again, related to a government contract, for example, that then requires um, those employees to go through E-Verify. And again, that's kind of more of a special case. But in general, the answer is no, that it's kind of on a go-forward basis now that they are under some requirement to participate in the program. So we do have to ensure that they understand that their employees from that point forward, based on their participation in the program, will now go to E-Verify. Um, and, and as we know, the program is, is voluntary at a federal level, but not, um, and not in certain situations based on state or um, the, the type of employer and so on. So we have to help, help them understand the, them making that determination of their level of participation and then configuring our system that way to support their, their use case. Nonetheless, once they're routing those new I-9s uh, through our system and then on to E-Verify. That's where we have to make sure that they understanding when to use it. Um, and the good news is, is that our system really um, can be configurable based on, based on how they need to participate in the program. And then all of that information on how to handle those cases and walking the end user through proper case handling is all really kind of built in uh, so that they can follow those directions. And those would be directions that an employer would see if they were participating in E-Verify on their own in the E-Verify application directly. We just help facilitate that with their electronic I-9s, routing that data to E-Verify and then presenting that those steps they need to follow within the system. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we hear from our employer clients, that they are happy and kind of thankful that there's someone there to guide them through the process. So as they're making those decisions, they can understand why and how those decisions should be made for their independent organization. Because like you said, the rules are a little bit all over the place. And there's no federal rule that says you have to use E-Verify except in very specific circumstances. So then employers are left to either understand what state rules there might be that would require them to use E-Verify for their given business or to understand if they may want to use E-Verify in all of their operations. So kind of talk through those benefits of using it, not using it, where they have to use it, understanding requirements versus understanding where they have the flexibility to use it or not use it. Although most of our employer clients, when we onboard them, we see that most of them do want to use the E-Verify system and want to use it for most of their locations, if not all their locations. And I think that's one of the best practices that we generally recommend is that E-Verify and Form I-9, especially in an electronic version, really do go hand in hand. So it's a best practice to use E-Verify for all your hiring locations, although there may be some where you um, either aren't going to or don't want to use it, and we completely understand that. But like you mentioned, the system is configurable, so we're able to turn them on, turn them off, or give them the options at that local level. So I know you talked a little bit about cases, too. So when we talk about cases, case statuses, case management inside E-Verify. Can you go a little bit deeper into what the cases are, how they start, how they kick off, and what an employer might need to do for those cases? Yeah, absolutely. So 
um, kind of the, the, the easiest case is that employment authorized case. Once that data is routed to E-Verify and, and comes back with a response of employment authorized, that just gives the employer that extra level of, of a thumbs up. Yes, this employee is authorized to work in the U.S. and let's all go on about our business. Um, but even that case does need to be closed to say, yes, this employee is authorized. I got it. We closed it. We're moving on. Um, the cases that require a little bit more interaction and just kind of that thorough review are things like a tentative non-confirmation. A lot of times that's referred to as a TNC. Most often that comes back because there's just data that didn't match up. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean something alarming right off the bat. And that can throw employers off sometimes when they see this Social Security Administration tentative non-confirmation sounds, sounds pretty big and important. And it's important that that case be handled properly but again, at, at the initial pass, it just means that data from the I-9 passed over to E-Verify and it doesn't match what the SSA has on file. And in some cases, there's a DHS, Department of Homeland Security, tentative non-confirmation. Again, initially, the data's not matching up. The good news is within the application, it tells that user something's not right here. Um, we need to make sure we do a review of that information. And in some cases, the employee has to be referred to the Social Security Administration to work out whatever the issue is that caused that data mismatch. Uh, was it a name change? Was it the Social Security number wasn't entered in properly? Um, so it can be something as simple as a data entry issue where this information is not matching up from the Form I-9 to what's on that database. And then the employee can work through getting that information corrected with either the SSA or the DHS, depending on who issued that tentative non-confirmation. And then those, that, those entities would then update the E-Verify system on their end. And then we, in our system, would then see that. So the employer could log back in and see, okay, this tentative non-confirmation has now moved to that employment authorized case and I can close it. And again, we can all move on. There, that's, that's kind of the happy path. The data gets corrected and comes back into the system and we can close the employment authorized and we can close the case. Then there are issues where the employee and, and that date, the employee data and what's on file on the back end uh, do not get rectified. And the employer then has to make the determination on if that employee is going to re remain employed with them. So sometimes it leads to what's called a final non-confirmation. At the very end, we cannot confirm this data from the I-9 against our, our database. And then the employer makes that decision on what to do next in terms of that employee's employment with them. And that's so important. As I say, important. that's so important for an employer to know that there are different steps and there are different case resolutions that may happen inside the system and to be prepared for being able to resolve those and that knowing that the system also provides a lot of information and when you lay a system like our interaction with eVerify on top of it there are additional workflows that help smooth that out a little bit for the employer so make it easier for the employer to use the eVerify system because they are going through the Equifax uh, web services connection where we've put additional workflows on top of the program itself. Mm -hmm.
To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. And I think another interesting thing that people may not understand is that it is, when I say it, the E-Verify system is checking against other federal databases. And that's essentially what the program is designed for. So they are checking against several different types of data that they have access to, to see if everything matches. And that is really what the system's doing, saying, yes, this person matches, everything looks as we would expect it to look, and they're authorized to work inside the U.S. Or sending back a notification to let us know that, hey, there's this other question you might want to ask, or there's other tasks you might want to take. So kind of in that vein, Aaron, can you talk to me a little bit about something that I hear a lot about, but... Photo matching, another thing that may happen inside E-Verify, what do employers need to know? What do they need to do? What do they need to make sure they don't do in the world of photo matching and E-Verify? Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, that's always been one of my favorite cases to take an employer through uh, when, we're, when we're providing training or a demonstration of how all of this works. Um, and in photo matching, you immediately think, okay, I'm going to hold up this photo against this person standing in front of me while I'm completing their section two, and now I see this photo matching response in the system, and I'm gonna make sure that this photo looks like this person standing in front of me. So that's a big no-no. You're actually not doing that. Um, and that's important to remember that photo matching means literally matching photos. So the photo that's, that's in your hand on that passport that you might be looking at with that employee, versus the photo that's displayed in the system. Photo matching was released uh, several years ago as an additional enhancement to E-Verify. And again, it's just doing that. Are these photos matching up? So that photo match response presents with a couple of list day documents that confirm somebody's uh, eligibility to work in the U.S. and their identity. So it is specific to some list day documents. But when that when those documents are leveraged in the system and it kicks off that photo match response, then that's when the employer goes through that matching process. So if I see Jason's passport picture showing up on my screen and I'm, I've got his passport in front of me while we're completing section two, I'm confirming, yes, these photos match. So again, that's sent back from E-Verify. The end user confirms that the photographs match, and then that moves into that employment authorized status. So it's kind of just that extra extra check before confirming uh, employment authorized. There are cases where the photos do not match, and you go through that workflow. No, these photos don't match, and then that takes the end user through that process. So the good news is, is, is the system will help walk that user through how to handle that case. As we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, it's a best practice to utilize E-Verify because that creates consistency within an organization, but not everybody is, is fully on the up and up with E-Verify or even I-9 handling. We, you know, we have, we have a lot of different employers with different types of individuals that are tasked with completing I-9 or E-Verify case handling. It's a very important process to follow, but not everybody really understands the verbiage or the seriousness of it. So we try to make it as easy for them as possible while also keeping them compliant. Yeah, and honestly, thank you for bringing up Jason's passport photo because next to the driver's <laughs> license photo, 
two of my best pictures ever. Um, but I, I, again, it's interesting to think that there are different workflows inside E-Verify and what those different workflows may mean for both an employer and for the employee, because there are certain pieces that the employee is going to have to resolve. I know you mentioned that a little bit when we talked about tentative non-confirmations, but can you talk for just a minute about how that may, or what an employee may need to do? If they get in, if they're in one of the workflows that's not automatically employment authorized. Sure, absolutely. So with that 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 case that we sometimes see where the data is not matching up, like a Social Security Administrative Tentative Non-Confirmation, again, that can kind of sound scary. So think about it from the employee's point of view. They're being told by their new employer, "You have an SSA Tentative Non-Confirmation," and you're thinking, "What does this even mean?" Well, the system provides documentation. Again, this is E-Verify documentation. And for our clients utilizing our system, they're able to pull that out. And it has some very clear directions on what the employee now has to do. And they have a, they have a very, very uh, defined process they have to follow to, to work through helping to clear up this information that cannot be confirmed. In the case of a SSA tentative non-confirmation and pre-COVID, they would actually go to a Social Security Administration, take in that paperwork that they just received from their employer and work through the process. And our friends at the SSA offices know how to handle that. They have some, some very defined processes that they work through to work with that employee to help resolve whatever that issue was. And again, make a correction or update some information so that it flows back through. In the case of a DHS, tentative non-confirmation, there are not Department of Homeland Security offices throughout the U.S. that somebody can just walk into. So they actually make a phone call. And the documentation, again, produced out of the system for a case like that would, again, provide the employee the steps that they need to follow to make that outreach and help clear up whatever may have caused that tentative non-confirmation. Yeah, and honestly, I think that it makes it accessible and easier for both the employer to understand and the employee to understand to have those workflows defined. And then, like you mentioned, the additional information that's inside our system, so the work or workflows that we've built inside Equifax Workforce Solutions, INON, and E-Verify Connections, really do help it be as easy as possible for both the employer and the employee. I think one of my key takeaways is the easiest piece is that it connects seamlessly with the E-Verify system. And when I say it, I mean the I-9 management system at Equifax Workforce Solutions. So there's no double entry. There's no ability to miskey things from the I-9 into the E-Verify system because all that is just happening automatically. And the employer is not having to create those additional cases on the E-Verify system from a paper or an electronic form I-9 just because we've got that automatic connection. So I think for me, those are some of the key takeaways, that it makes it easier, makes it faster, and it makes it easier not just for the employer, but also for their employees and cuts down on mistakes that may happen. Because, Aaron, one of the things that you mentioned that kind of really got me was if it is just a mismatch of information, it can still come back or it can create that question that moves it from employment authorized into one of the other statuses where there's going to need to be resolution or a conversation meeting with or call to one of the federal offices by one of the employees. So being able to cut down on just that kind of possibility of miskeying the information is a huge thing for employers. 
So yes. we're out of time for today, <laughs> but I'd like to thank Aaron for joining us on the Workforce Wise podcast. Anything you want to leave the employers who are listening with before we close out? I think just the, the key takeaway is to be thorough, be consistent when using E-Verify and, um, you know, let the system kind of guide you through that and, and slow down and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be just fine. Awesome. I always love a conversation where somebody ends by telling me I'll be just fine. <laughs> So we hope you enjoyed today's discussion and we hope you're walking away with some best practices that you can adopt at your organization. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the Workforce Wise podcast. And don't forget to download your free tools at equifax.com wise. While you're there, check out our other episodes and sign up for our live tech demo to see our solutions in action. And to keep our lawyers happy, you should know the information provided on the Workforce Wise podcast is intended as general guidance and not intended to convey specific tax or legal advice. For tax or legal information pertaining to your company and its specific facts and needs, please consult your own tax advisor or legal counsel. The views expressed are those of the discussion leaders and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the contact us box on the investor relations section at Equifax.com.